Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure to welcome you to the program and please stay with us for this hour as we are going to open the Bible again and look into a very interesting uh, topic today. But just before I will mention that, I would like to just bring to your memory, if you follow us on these uh, Bible studies, that um, we were looking under this theme of managing for the master till he comes. And uh, there were some amazing uh, studies we looked at during um, this uh, number of weeks. Uh, things like God's covenant with us, dealing with the debt and um, laying up treasures in heaven or beware of covetousness, managing in tough times also. But today, we are going to look a little bit uh, more closely about rewards of faithfulness. What a wonderful study this will be today, and I'm uh, uh, inviting you to stay with us as we are open the Bible um, together. But I'd like to welcome our panel for today, and it's good to have you with us, uh, Jerry. Thank you, Nick. Terrific to be here again. Lija, also thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm very glad. Praise the Lord for that. Len, thank you for being part of this too. It's a pleasure. And hello, listeners. Denise, thank you for joining us. It's always a privilege to be part of it. Thank you, Nick. Will, it's good to have you with us today. And I'd like to say thank you for preparing this uh, Bible study you are going to facilitate today. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick, and let somebody welcome you too. <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's wonderful to be able to come together, and um, let's uh, let's start uh, to look into this uh, very positive, promising topic today. Will rewards of faithfulness? Would you be able to take us through, please? Certainly, Nick. There are a few committed people during the centuries of Earth's history that were given the amazing privilege of seeing beyond the veil of this life, far past our every earthly perspective, to set their eyes on a totally different dimension, those amazing ethereal realms far removed from what we are accustomed to hear. Yes, those few people were given glimpses of realities outside of the earthly. For them, the curtain was drawn aside, and they could see otherworldly or heavenly places. And that experience of seeing what lies beyond, beyond our present vision, must have changed them. I'm sure it left them with a desire to make what they saw part of their future. And we can safely conclude that Moses saw more than an earthly promised land from the top of Mount Nebo, there on the borders of Canaan. This very Moses had spoken face to face with our God on Mount Sinai and must have during that time received many perspectives of what lies beyond our present vision or perhaps even our wildest imaginations. Then consider what John the Revelator, the privilege that he had of entering the very throne room of the Almighty. And then he does his very best to describe the splendor and the magnificence of what he sees there. You know, from these and other inspired accounts in Scripture, every Christian believer can discover that all these realities 
are promised as a reward for faithfulness to our God. It can become part of our renewed experience in the future if only each of us could be given a quick look at what lies beyond. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Just a glimpse, uh, just a glimpse of it would change our lives and set our hearts on things above. You know, we want to talk about that reward today, but I think first we should pray. Len, do you want to lead us in prayer? Of course. Would you like to join us in prayer, listeners? Our dear Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to open your word and discover the gems of truth and the joys of knowing you and knowing what happened in the past, happening now, and what will happen in the future. Not only that, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit might guide us as a panel as we endeavour to bring people to know you and to grow in you. We pray that you'll bless every listener listening to this program today, that they might align their lives with you, our loving God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Len. You know, though we cannot earn salvation, the Bible does use the hope of reward uh, as a motivation for faithful living. All of us as undeserving recipients of God's grace. For in the end, whatever we receive always and only is from God's grace. The old hymn used to say, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Already in the Old Testament, David in the Psalms stated that there is a promise, a promise of an eternal reward. Can someone share Psalm 19 verses 7 to 11 with us and perhaps comment? Uh, Yes, well, I I will. Um, It says there in Psalm 19 verse 7 to 11, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is born, and in keeping them there is great reward. Now I think it's interesting that um, even even now, I mean, I think perhaps uh, today we will be focusing on the future reward. But even today, if we um, look at these verses that I've just read, what effect that has on the individual? You know, we even sing when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do his goodwill, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. That's that's already a reward, the the transforming power of the word of God and how it uh, prepares us for this life and for the future life. But, of course, there are also some wonderful promises for the future. One of my favorite is found in First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Perhaps if I could just read a few of those verses. It says here, Brothers, I want you to know the truth of what I told you when I was with you. Your loved ones who have died are sleeping in Christ. Don't grieve as people who have no hope. 
Jesus died and rose again. Therefore, those who died believing in him will be raised to life by God, just as Jesus was. We're telling you this by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he taught us was that those who are still alive when he comes will not be taken to heaven ahead of those of their loved ones who have died believing in him and are now sleeping. When Christ descends from heaven as the archangel, he will give a shout like a trumpet, which is God's call for the dead, and those who died in Christ will rise first. Then those who love him and are still alive will be changed, and together with those who have been resurrected will be caught up in the sky to meet him in the air. From then on, we'll all be together with the Lord. So comfort and encourage each other with these words. What beautiful promise that we not only will be together with the Lord, but with our beloved friends, loved ones who have gone on before us, those who have died, but died in the faith. What a fantastic thing that is to look forward to. Uh, and not only that, but also uh, in other parts of Scripture, Paul talks about the kind of body we will be receiving, an immortal body, an incorruptible body. And I imagine that to be uh, something that um, oh, I can really get excited about as well. In this life, our bodies break down in time. They decay. We, we, you know, sooner or later, it comes to an end here. And sadly, a lot of people end up um, in a diseased condition. But not so in a new world. Not so the body that has been promised to us. It's a perfect body, an incorruptible body that will last. And I imagine, maybe it's just my fantasy, I don't know, but I imagine that um, we will have a body that is better than the best body we've ever had here. In other words, I, I always think of youth. Everybody wants to be forever young. They even wrote songs about being forever young. Well, we will be forever young. And that alone is a fantastic promise. And there are many others, and I'm sure we'll unpack that as we go through the lesson. Next. Can I throw a bit of a question here now in terms of um, talking about rewards of faithfulness? Now, we know that and understand that salvation is by grace alone. But uh, would that be in heaven people will not receive rewards? What do you think? Because if we think that, uh, okay, uh, everyone will receive some rewards, it means that there are some uh, acts of faithfulness uh, from our life. It, I mean, some deeds, which people disqualify, saying, oh, you know, we are saved only by grace, which is true. But all our uh, good works, for which uh, Jesus is it's promising us that will be rewarded, I think it ties very well in with uh, with the journey of salvation. Just being there is a reward, Nick, don't you think? And if we're going to be there, if we are saved, then we are fully and completely saved and we will all have that incorruptible body. There will be joy, unspeakable joy, uh, for everyone who's there. Um, isn't part of our um, faith in Jesus the fact that he gives us the works to do and he gives us the power to perform them? So... In that way, then, everything we do in a faith relationship is prompted by him, promoted by him, uh, empowered by him in our lives. Earlier, Nick may have uh, much wider concepts in, in, in his mind, but, um, you know, I heard it once said that uh, 
No one will be saved by their works, but no one will be saved without works as well of righteousness. But Denise, you you have uh, plainly put that even the works that we do uh, is not done from our own strength. That too is a gift from God. And it's a marvelous thing to, to think about, yes. What assurances do we have, panel, of getting what we prom- what we have been promised? The reward of faithfulness. What, and what conditions does scripture have for receiving this reward? Well, the Bible puts before us some contrasts. We're talking today about reward, but it also talks about wages. And it talks about life and death. And in Romans, it says uh, the wages of sin is death. And the reward that God gives his faithful people, of course, is life. And that means life eternal. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So the very primary thing is to believe that God exists. For those who don't believe God exists and don't take him into consideration in their lives, the reward of eternal life doesn't apply to them. They get this life and that's all. But it's interesting here, the uh, the Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, I read that before, but it pleases God that we take him into our lives. There are some other things that please God, When Jesus was baptized and came up out of the water, a voice from heaven came to and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So I just want to spend a moment or two about what actually pleases God. The first thing that pleases God, the primary thing, is having faith that he exists. Can you prove that God exists? Well, probably you can't prove it, but you can look at evidence of the existence of God. For example, look up at the stars at night and ask yourself, how did they get there? Look at the beauties in the, on the earth. Why is it so beautiful? And so on. So there's evidence, but no actual proof. So having faith pleases God to be spiritually minded to do the things that God would have us do, as outlined in the Bible, pleases him. To fear him, that means to honour him, to study his word, and of course to follow Jesus' example, pleases God. To obey him, of course, to do his will, and in everything acknowledge God. For those who do that, God promises a reward. Now, being rewarded for faithfulness is not the same as the idea of salvation by works. Who among us or among any of the characters of the Bible had works good enough to give them any merit before God? 
doesn't matter how good you are, it's actually not good enough because we are sinners, we have sinned. And the cross points out that none of us are good enough. The only way we can have favour with God is to accept the sacrifice of Jesus, accepting the grace of God. And the Bible says, and if by grace it's no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace because Otherwise, work is no longer work. That's from Romans 11. Rewards, instead, are the mere outworking of what God has done for us and in us. So the title of this study is Rewards for Faithfulness. We must believe that God exists and we do his will. Then we can expect that reward. Simple as that. Also in Hebrew... Uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So Jesus had a goal when he was on this earth for the goal of his love, for the purpose to save this earthly sinful people. He endured and he was persevering his goal and he became victorious. So his example is set before us to do the same, to look on him and run with endurance and fulfill our mission. If I could just uh, comment on uh, that one also, Will, is that as Len pointed out about salvation uh, by grace alone, I mentioned a bit earlier, I believe good works put us in the right track, set us for the right uh, direction. And I think that's very important because... Uh, You'll do those good things because you have a connection with your Savior, with our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why you do those good works, not to be saved, not to have a relation with him, not to please, uh, only to please uh, God that he may be merciful to you. He's already merciful. He was already merciful from the beginning while he was still sinners. Well, I think it's a natural result. It's like if you go in water, you'll get wet. Mm. When you have a relationship with the Lord, good works are just naturally going to follow. It's a complete contradiction. The person has a relationship with Christ and does bad works. So good works is an outworking of of uh, Christ living within you. Ledger, when you read that text from Hebrews 12, of laying aside every weight 
made me think of something that Joe said a few weeks ago in our program. No marathon runner carries a backpack. You you run with the lightest um, clothing and everything in proper preparation. You don't want to be weighed down with uh, sin. And that's the same with us in our earthly uh, sojournings. <clears throat> you know, for us as human beings, believers or unbelievers, whether we're spiritually striving souls or indifferent ones, an all-out eternity waits, awaits us all. Absolutely everyone. And it's a stark reality that eternity confronts the whole of mankind with only two options, eternal life or eternal death. That's it. There's no middle ground, no straddling, or a bit on one side or the other. On the contrary, it truly is a case of all or nothing. You know, I can quote something I heard long ago, which has tugged on my heart for years. A statement that says, almost saved is just as bad as completely lost. Nick, how does the Bible present these two options? Well, uh, that's, this is a, a beautiful passage again in the, in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 6, verse 23, and I'm l- reading from New Living Translation at this time. And it says here, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think this is uh, very important to uh, realize to make that difference in between uh, life, everlasting life and death, and how we are able to join our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior to be with him for eternity, through him, not to anything, as we pointed out so far, of what we can do, because uh, we're not able, but we still have our part to play. Now, if I'll just mention that beautiful verse in the Bible, which is known as the golden uh, verse uh, um, of the Bible in John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is hard, uh, Will and panel, to manage two uh, starker or more distinct choices, isn't it? The mission or the function and ministry, even of, of our uh, Faith FM network, is to help everyone to choose eternal life. We encourage you, my dear friend, to think about God. God has the unique ability to do whatever he says and he can do because he's almighty, powerful God and he will fulfill all his promises and empower us to inherit the life of the hereafter. Our part is simply to believe in him, rest upon his merits, the merits of Jesus and by faith obey his word. That's our mission on Faith FM Radio, to 
bring this knowledge and the teachings of the Bible to our attention. Because it's so easily these days just to take things, you know, as we hear here and there. Uh, but we encourage people to search the Bible, to look into the Bible, to look for the, those beautiful promises. I'm inviting you, my dear friend, to consider that right now that you may give your life fully to Jesus, the one who paid the price for our sins and he prepared a place for us to be with him in, in eternity. Yes, with uh, with those words, Nick, very appropriate. And with the rewards before us, um, it's certainly something for us to consider. You know, Seventh-day Adventists and most other Christian denominations point to a wonderful promise made by the Saviour to his disciples. And I think this is a good juncture to share those precious words again. Lisa, could we pass this over to you? Yes, sure, Will. I'd like to read from uh, John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, and uh, let's have a look at this beautiful promise. It starts off, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God, have faith also in me. In my Father's house there's plenty of room for everyone. If that weren't so, I would have told you. I'm going home to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, you can be sure that I'll come back to take you home with me so you can be with me forever. Now, this promise, uh, Jesus was speaking these words to his disciples. Uh, he wanted to give them words of hope and encouragement. This is around the time when he was going to be crucified and he wanted to let them know that that wasn't the end of their relationship with him. And he wanted to encourage them because he knew they were going to have times of trial and um, discouragement. So he said, don't be afraid because this is a promise that I'm going to give you. And he promised them, as he promises us, that just as he was on earth, came to die the first time and then was resurrected, he's going to come back to claim those to believe who believe in him. So he came he died, he returned to heaven, and then he promised his disciples that he would come again, and that promise also is our promise, so that uh, he he comes back to offer us eternal life. Jerry? A few verses down from where Denise was reading, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So all these promises are truth. The, the promises that Jesus gave us. Now, how do we know? And I guess in the end, it's up to us, isn't it, to to choose whether we believe it or not. We don't have proof. No, nobody's been to heaven. Uh, but what is it? I, I ask myself that often. What is it when people read these same verses that one embraces it as truth and the other dismisses it as fantasy? You know, I think that... Um because God is so constant and his promises are, if you've put his promises to the test, you can see that he's faithful. And we live in a, wor a world where human beings promise things all the time and we let each other down. Uh, we don't fulfill the things that we say we're going to do, but God always fulfills his promises. He's not like human beings. He's, he's God. He's eternal. He knows everything. And his promises are unconditional. Yeah. 
In fact, uh, if I can pick up on what you're just saying, uh, Denise, in the Bible, uh, there are several places where it says, put me to the test. Put me to the test and see whether this is true or not. And um, it's it's a wonderful experience to put God to the test and to actually experience for yourself that what he is saying is true. You know, during the tough times in the Christian experience, and I think that there have been many people that uh, get near discouragement through through the um, through history. Um, <clears throat> those promises um, from God have been a great encouragement for them to carry on, and that they would seize on eternal life simply because of what God promised that He would do for each one of them. And when I think of New the New Jerusalem, it's something that uh, Abraham saw by faith. The Bible tells that he saw an eternal city prepared for the redeemed. In Hebrews 11 verse 10, it says, He looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The New Jerusalem is God's masterpiece and will be the home of God's faithful children in heaven during the millennium and afterwards on the new earth for uh, eternity. Now, John says he saw the city. He says in Revelation 21, verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Panel, I think it would be good for me to ask, what are some of the things that we are promised in John's uh, prophecies of what's going to be happening? in the year after. Anything you'd like to extract for us that has bound your heart over these years? Len? Well, immediately after that verse that you read, we uh, um, see this in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. It says, They will be his people, this is the redeemed, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, I think probably the greatest and best experience anybody can have is to be in the presence of God. goes on a little bit there. Verse 4 of Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. People throughout the centuries have looked forward to this reward that God promises. It'll be a new order. There'll be none of the stuff that gives us uh, stress and pain and trouble and death anymore. Now, if that's not, not worth aiming for, I don't know what it is. I know plenty of people would like to live forever, but on their own terms. But here, it'll be on God's terms. It'll be a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom of righteousness without this rubbish that happens here on planet Earth. And that is some reward. I can't think of anything greater than that that God has promised yeah, I think, well, I, I mean, this, again, this is a bit of a fantasy because we, we get a picture uh, here, don't we, from Revelation 21 
and we form an image, a mental image, if you like, of what life is going to be like in heaven. What I sometimes think about is that on this earth, uh, things are getting so bad, and for a long time now, people, you know, have to. We have to lock our doors. We have to have security cameras. We have to have bars in front of the windows sometimes, or roller shutters, because nothing's safe anymore. If it, if it's not welded down, it's not safe. It gets it gets stolen. Just that, just to think that in heaven and on the new earth, you won't have any locks. You won't need any security cameras. Everybody will be trustworthy, uh, as though they were their best, your best friend, people you've never met before, because we're all children of the living God. We've all put our faith and trust in God. We are the redeemed. We are. Our mind has completely been transformed, and that alone, I think, is a fantastic reward. That freedom to know that um, you are safe in every which way. Yes, Nick. Just talking about uh, the New Jerusalem, uh, you know, you need to have faith and to believe in God. As I mentioned in the, in the John 3.16, if you believe, that's what God says in his promises, you'll have eternal life. Now, in regard to the New Jerusalem, you really need to, to believe this, that uh, God is doing what he promised. Because I heard many people thinking of all sorts of ideas about uh, New Jerusalem. People are working hard, right as we speak now, to build a temple, to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem, actually. Uh, because they uh, they believe that that's what the Bible says about New Jerusalem and all those things. But the Bible is very clear. And interesting that when Jesus promised that in, in John uh, chapter 14, in, uh, verse one that not to let our hearts be troubled, you know, in regard to uh, these promises because, uh, uh, we're invited to trust in God and trust in Jesus. In the, in heaven, there is much room. This is interesting. Already in heaven, even before we accepted Jesus, there room, there is room in heaven. For me and for you, my dear friend. And Jesus is saying that he's going to prepare everything and he will come back. But the room exists there for you. Don't miss out on that. Yes, that's a great invitation, Nick. Near the close of Jesus' ministry, his disciples came to him privately and asked, Tell us, when shall all these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? That's Matthew 24, verse 3. Jesus then takes two chapters to answer their questions. Matthew 24 tells of the signs in the world around us, such as wars, disasters, etc. Then in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the conditions in the church just before Jesus comes again. These conditions are illustrated by three stories, one of which is a parable of the talents which talks about how his people had used their gifts that God had given them. Then, as we come to the end of a quarter on managing for the master, I think it'll be good for us to briefly review what the message of Jesus was to the church in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 19. Would you take us there, please? 
Yes, well, I uh, have had a conversation with somebody who said that when you accept God's grace, you don't have to do anything. God does it all. And this particular chapter covers that particular issue. And I'm going to read from Matthew 25, verses 14 through to 19, and then I'll go on without reading here. So Matthew 25, 14 to 19, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man travelling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he had received the five talents, went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two, gained two more also. But he who had received one, went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Well, this particular parable extends far beyond financial investments. God has given each person a wide variety of gifts and he expects us to employ those gifts in his service. The return God expects of us is commensurate with the gifts we've been given. The servant who received one talent was not condemned for failing to reach the five-talent goal. He was condemned because he did nothing with what he had been given. The gifts we receive from God include skills, abilities, family connections, social positions, education, experiences and more. The point of the parable is that we are to use whatever we've been given for God's purposes. And it's important to realise that both servants invest for the benefit of their master. And they return to him not only his original investment, but also what they make in his behalf. It is a privilege to be entrusted with talents, resources, and opportunities to work towards God's purposes in the world. The implication of the parable is that if we do so, we will take our place among all the faithful, trustworthy servants of God, no matter how big or small our accomplishments may be seen. So I think that answers the question, when you receive the grace of God and become saved, do you just stagnate? The answer is no. You work on behalf of the God who saves us. Certainly. Nick? Just wanted to add there um, what Lynn says, and he pointed out very well that uh, everything what we have in life, I mean, uh, not only materialistic things, abilities and all those things, yeah, they are from God to put in, in use. But I think on this, particularly in this parable, it's very clear that um, God speaks about uh, financial aspects of the gifts which God gave us. I would like to just uh, add on this that uh, 
those people who were given those talents, the differences in between uh, the one who had one talent and the others, that they were diligently working, doing, doing their stuff to make for the master an investment was not for themselves, was for the master. And that's why we are here to do whatever it takes to grow the kingdom of God, to make that investment for the master. Now, if we can earn good money in the right way, then do so and put them in the right place rather than just invest for ourselves and grow our accounts. We just learned uh, in a previous study about the foolish man who thought that he will uh, live an easy life now. I think this is the difference looking at this parable, that we understand what God expects from us and put that in place with all our heart diligently work towards achieving uh, what God expects us to do. Jerry? I might be laboring the point here a bit, but um, some people might argue that uh, the man who did nothing with his talent uh, could say, well, at least I didn't lose it. But as Len pointed out a couple of times, that God does have an expectation, and that expectation is that we become useful in his service that we do something with the gifts and the talents that God has uh, given us. So he expects a return. And, of course, if you just do nothing, then you're not much use in God's kingdom. How would how would the kingdom of God on earth be established if nobody did anything, if nobody got out and, and proclaimed the gospel? And, um, you know, we have a fantastic example, among other uh, many others, of Paul. Paul's uh, such a an inspirational figure when you see what he endured for, for the sake of the gospel and for his love for Jesus, the things that he, and we might even touch on that in a, in a while, but uh, it's an example for us to, to roll your sleeves up. And, and I think that's something that you do naturally anyway. When you see what the Lord has done for you and is doing for you, how can you just uh, be unproductive and do nothing? It doesn't make sense to me. I think it's important to realize that as Christians, we must grow. If we don't grow, we're, we're dying really. Mm. And growing in the knowledge of God's word, growing in our relationship with the Lord and growing in our usefulness as Christians. Well, we're talking today on the rewards of faithfulness. And I think one very important aspect is to keep our eyes on the prize. I believe that the Bible heroes, like the Apostle Paul, were willing to endure much opposition and hurt because of a mindset that we would do well also to adopt. Jerry, do you want to expand on what motivated these believers throughout the generations? Yeah, I'd like to read from um, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. This is what Paul writes. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, 
I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he was really, really focused on his mission. And he says in, in 1 Timothy 6, uh, the verses 6 to 12, he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these things we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul was absolutely focused on his task. And um, there's a beautiful verse also in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, where he says, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded, as in convinced, that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Fully convinced, fully persuaded. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, just uh, wonderful, wonderful passages in the Bible about this uh, great man, uh, Apostle Paul. Very well educated, with abilities to get very successful in life, rich, whatever. But he's giving us some good advice there. And he's saying something like this. If you have food and clothing, that's enough for us. Let's be honest with ourselves. Is that what we dream though or desire? We live in this Western world, which we have much more than that. And we're still accumulating for ourselves. But Apostle Paul is saying that those people who are chasing the riches of this world, what was the, the result of that? He said, uh, Jerry, you just read that verse there. Yes, they come into all sorts of trouble, don't they? Making money their God. Exactly. Brings a lots of trouble. Now, we don't accuse or, or don't dismiss the need of money. But let's be honest. I heard about many times people pointing fingers to Christians saying, look at them, how they are waiting for their Lord Jesus Christ to come on building double, triple stories, houses, having the latest car, taking loans and this and that. You know, people can see that. But Apostle Paul was clear in his goal. Reveal that to the people around him. He was working hard also for himself to provide also for others, for his companions, and so on and so forth. Let's be honest here and ask our Lord Jesus Christ to help us to disconnect from these earthly things and to really focus on the heavenly things with whatever we can do. Do everything what you can do with your hand. Yes, your comments are actually a summary of the uh, trend of our studies through the entire quarter. And as we come to the end, of the studies this quarter on managing for the master. 
reviewing our role as stewards of his good, his gifts, talents, I think a crucial question to ask on behalf of every believer is, what is true prosperity? Denise? Well, it's, it's interesting that you should ask that, Will. When I looked up prosperity in the dictionary, it mainly says wealth, but we're looking at prosperity from a biblical perspective, which is quite different. And uh, when we're talking about God's riches that he wants to offer us, that in, that can include um, wealth uh, if we're going to use it for his cause, but it also includes health, well-being, peace, power to overcome, an understanding of God's love and his blessings. And there's some texts that I'd just like to share briefly. So in Philippians 4 verse 19, it says that, My God will supply all your needs from his glorious riches because of Jesus Christ. And when I looked at another text to find out what God's riches are, in Romans 2.4 it says, Aren't you presuming on the riches of God's kindness, patience, tolerance, which are meant to lead you to repentance and a change of life? So these riches that come from God are to do with the blessings that he gives us in terms of power through the Holy Spirit to overcome uh, his kindness, his tolerance, to lead us to uh, an understanding of the gospel. And God doesn't promise his children they'll be rich in this world's good, but, but he does offer something better than worldly wealth. He offers us spiritual blessings that he abundantly pours out on us. Ooh. That which we give to the cause of God becomes our our own forever. Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Notice the word yourselves. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. These alone of all that we possess are really ours. All that we lay up on earth, we must leave at last it is only what we give to for Christ that we can take with us into the eternal world. Ledger, as we have highlighted again from the testimony of scriptures, that we may not necessarily prosper in this world's goods, unlike what is taught by preachers of the prosperity gospel, do we end up coming short or deprived? As we read in, in uh, Second Timothy uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 6 to 8, it says, Paul says actually, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul give, um, is reminding us here that he is ready any time uh, when God calls him, um, and he feels that he ran the course and he finished the running of the course. So he done his best, he kept his faith, and he's receiving the crown of righteousness which God, the King, 
promised to him and to all who believes in him. I would like to read a very nice promise, which says human language is inadequate to describe the reward of the righteous. It will be known only to those who behold it. No finite mind can comprehend the glory of the paradise of God. So, as it says in the Bible, whatever the ear never heard, the eyes never seen, and uh, the mind of the people never comprehend. This is what God uh, prepared for all those who has been faithful to him. It's a wonderful reward, uh, Ledger. And I think the invitation and the reminder from Jesus himself is what we need to close our study with today. He himself has promised, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What a wonderful prospect. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful thing to look forward to. Ledger, would you like to close this study with prayer? For us, please. Our Father, glorious and holy, thank you so much for the hope of earthly and eternally rewards promised to us as a motivation for all faithful living, as undeserving recipients of your grace. Father, thank you so much. Please help us for these rewards of our faithfulness, hope, courage, inspiration, determination to grow in generosity, to live in moderation, contentment, discipline, faith, love for others, and love for you. Help us, Father, to grow in them. And as you promised to us in Revelation, You said, Father, that to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receiveth. To him who overcomes, And does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. I will also give him the morning star. I will also keep him from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I will also give him the crown of life. I will make a pillar in the temple of God. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. I will also write on him my new name. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. Father, thank you so much for all the rewards 
of the gifts of eternal life with you, very precious, the rewards of the redeemed. Thank you so much, Father. We believe in you and we trust in you wholly. Help us, Father, to focus on whatever you entrusted to us and how we can use it only to your honor and glory. We thank you so much all these thing, for all these things in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, your participation today. Indeed, we had the privilege to learn more how to manage for the Master. Jesus is going to come soon. And we may need to realize that that we need to be busy with doing the right thing and managing what he entrusted us. My dear friend, please join us next time again because we are going to move into a new study, uh, going to continue to learn from the Bible and uh, don't hesitate to contact us. We wish you God's blessings and we hope to see you in heaven and share with us how you got to know Jesus even through our ministry on Faith FM. May God bless you.